Welcome to Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land. I'm Mary Swander, your host, and today we're looking up at the sky. It's been a year of looking down at the ground, looking around its surfaces, looking at the droplets in the air. But I found out that there's been a run on telescopes. It's very hard to even purchase a telescope these days. Everyone is home, and for the first time, they're discovering the universe above us and how we might find our places in that space. So we're going to explore those spaces and the interconnection of all heavenly and earthly bodies. A cold, clear, dark night. The Yutzies, still in their Amish Sunday best, black hats, coats, and shawls, black suits and dresses, stood on top of the hill of their farm. The parents, eight children, two grandchildren, and I lined up to peer into a large telescope aimed at the moon. Bill, an astrophysicist, stood waiting to help us focus. The Yutzies had wanted to see the stars through a telescope. Every morning at 3.30 a.m., they walk to the barn to milk their cows. Along the way, they look up at the heavens and follow the paths of the planets and stars. Without a guidebook or a website, they have identified the major constellations and the eight planets of the solar system. One day, the Yahtzees asked me to get them into the nearby university-owned observatory, but it had closed, the place condemned. Who says we can't get in there, Henry Yetzi said. The Amish, a group that lives outside of most government regulations, always believes that there is another way to do things. It's a no-go, I said, but offered to contact Bill, a friend who teaches astronomy at the university. Bill agreed to bring a high-powered telescope to the Yetzi farm. Now I hope that Bill isn't one of these big bang fellows. Henry said when I finalized the arrangements. Do you know anything about his spiritual beliefs? Sarah asked. I took a breath. I don't, I said. All I can tell you is that he's a Lutheran. We just won't ask, Sarah said, not in front of the children. That night, Bill arrived at my house, a huge telescope wedged into the back of his station wagon. We drove up the road to the Yutzi farm. Now, Bill, I said, the Yutzis are old order Amish. They're worried you're going to talk about the Big Bang in front of their children. So let's just not go there, okay? Bill agreed and leapt out of his car, introducing himself all around to the Yutzis shaking hands, then launching into a lively, entertaining Astronomy 101 lecture, using his laser pointer to highlight different patterns in the night sky. We viewed the moon, and Bill talked about the space launches, the landings, the speed of light, the Milky Way, 
and even the eventual demise of the Earth. The Yutzis, quite familiar with the concept of the end of the world, nodded. The women pulled their shawls tighter around their heads and draped them over the shoulders of their children. Then Bill began talking about the beginning of the world. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, he said. Here's where it gets religious. I gulped. Most scientists agree the world began with the Big Bang. I shot Bill a glance across the darkness. But, uh, but we really don't know for sure, do we? Bill hesitated. I know, Henry muttered under his breath. I know for sure. Here's a passage from an essay I wrote called The Fifth Chair, and it was during the time when I was home because I was in a wheelchair. I was finally home long enough to peer out the window long enough to figure out how Scruff, one of the pygmy goats, could escape from the pen while Mac and Shenanigan couldn't. At last, I saw Scruff take a running jump from the top of the shed, plant his hoof on the five-foot-high cattle panel, twist and spin in the air, doing a backflip and landing with grace on all fours on the other side of the fence. I was finally home long enough to spot the red fox slinking back toward the ditch in the early morning. As if in one breath, his whole body disappeared into his den, the den I'd never been able to find before. Above ground, the comet streaked through the sky, while others traveled to observatories and strained to locate the celestial body, its presence filled my window. Its tail, millions of miles long, trailed across my vision through the night and led my thoughts back to earth where the ground lay frozen and bare. In its dormancy, my garden plot readied itself for spring, for the arrival of my hoe and spade an expectation I was becoming more and more worried I could not meet. I was home long enough to meet every UPS delivery and began to recognize the sound of the home health aide's car, its low, throaty voice, almost like that of a heavy smoker, when it pulled into the lane. I learned the growl of the mail carrier's jeep, its wheels spinning in the mud near my box. I learned the whine of the poacher's light pickup truck, parked on top of the hill, a rifle poking out the window in hopes of popping off deer running down by Picayune Creek. When I watched the deer dash through the trees unharmed, when my neighbor Donna appeared at the door with the first six goose eggs of the new year, when Scruff wiggled his way back into the pen, this time through the tiny crack in the gate, I learned to sit back in that wheelchair and do what those doctors had told me years ago. I learned to live with the pain.
that taste like styrofoam. I'll bring the raincoats, you bring the bug spray, or we could just stay home. You can eat a dip bug, I can eat chocolate, and the ball game will be coming on at night. You'd wear slippers, I'd wear my bathrobes, and we could split a half a bottle of wine. This Friday, let's go to the races. We can watch those cars go around and hear those mighty motors bump. I'll bring the sunblock, you bring the earplugs. stargazing poem of mine from my poetry book, Heaven and Earth House. And this is about one night when I was watching the meteor shower, and I pitched a tent in my own pasture, and lay back on the grass and just watched the shooting stars in the sky. It was quite a display. And at the same time, that night, in the distance, I could hear singing down the road where an Amish man was dying. And we usually abandon our dying. But in the Amish culture, they come and they sing you on your transition out of this world. Heaven? No, it's lying in a field in Iowa staring at the heavens, stars streaking the sky their auras pulsing out, in. Night of the meteor shower, night of mosquito netting and pitch tent, the flap open to the eastern horizon. Hot, damp August night when the rooster's crow folds into its perch and the cricket's song dives into the same pool as the whippoorwill. Night of Augustus Caesar and St. Augustine, Amish date night, when the buggies race home late, their wheels spinning uphill, 
lanterns blinking, horses' manes flying. Pegasus of the tall corn, Pegasus of the fat bean. Under my sleeping bag is the richest earth on earth. And this is the night of the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Blessed Virgin Prairie, the night crawlers floating up through layers of black dirt. What awaits? A choir of angels, a chorus of sheep bleeding out. How good is the grass? How good is the flesh? How good were the stars to lead me here? The year of the blue goat, brown duck, the year of the squawk and coo, the loyal dog who barked at strange men and storms. Oh, little town of Kelowna, Hana Kelowna, Kalua Kelowna, Bull Town, where the gardens are ringed in coxcombs and cannas, and down the road little girls sing hymns outside the window of the dying man, propped with pillows near the screen. Their voices hover above me and are gone, a flock escaped from the barn. I chase them one way across the ditch over the hill through the neighbor's orchard and field. I chase them back toward the house, corner the ram against the fence. Then Ares, Ares is free and off through the grove with the ewes and lambs close behind. So bleat for the ones who never return, the ones who last just this long, the empty manger and stall. Bleat for the ones who come again, who ascend in the clear air, dark night, holy night, when sounds carry and trails of light flit over our heads, and bleat for the moon, the sun, the golden day when we will all lie down in a field, nothing more to be done. Now it's time for the Free Martin Town radio station, KLUU Radio, Get a Clue, and their call-in catastrophe show where folks from all over our listening area phone in about any catastrophe that they might be experiencing, questions or comments about it. May it be the pandemic, the derecho, the blizzard, the drought, the floods, all the best that Free Martin Town has to offer. All right, so let's get those phone lines hot. Oh yeah, here's one. Here's one. Yeah, yes, yes. You're on the air. you're on the air. Go ahead. You're on the air. And uh, hey, hey, uh, wait, wait. Can you turn your radio down? Can you turn your radio down? Okay, good, good. Yes, go ahead. You're on the air. What catastrophe do you have in mind? Sex, sex. Now, I wouldn't consider that a catastrophe, would you? I would. Here in the pandemic. In the pandemic? Well, frankly, I'd think sex was better in the pandemic. We're all at home all the time. Cozy and snug. Well, it might be better. Can tell me, what, you're, what are you driving at? We have a lot of people right now who are trying to get in, call in. Oh, those phone lines, look at that. Very active. No kids. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next caller if you're going to be like that. Wait, wait. Maybe sex is good, but I was reading in the paper today that nobody is pregnant. Young couples don't want to have kids in these uncertain times. Oh, I see, and you consider that a catastrophe? It will be. It will be for our school. Once the town loses kids, 
Soon it loses its school. Our school's the heart of our town. It's already merged with Bulltown. You know that. Well, that's right. That merger happened way back during the farm crisis. Sure, farmers were forced to get big or get out, they told us. A lot of them got out, moved away, took their kids with them. Free Martintown lost population. We lost 20 people. The downtown started failing, and we were left with a lot of boarded-up storefronts. Yeah, we'd seen better days. And that's what's going to happen again. That's what's going to happen. That's just going to happen. What are we going to do? Okay, there's a question on the table, folks. Let's hear from other callers. How are we going to save our town now that the pandemic has lowered our birth rate? Hello? Oh, hello? Hello, you're on the air. K-L-U-U, get a clue. The call-in catastrophe show. I have an idea. About the birth rate? Okay, shoot. Nothing we can do about the birth rate. We got to start recruiting. Recruiting people to Free Martintown? That's right. I heard all these folks in New York and San Francisco figured out you didn't need to live in them expensive cities. Nowadays, with a computer, you can just work anywhere. We got Zoom. Um, what are you driving at? I'm saying let's go and get some of those city folks and bring them here to Free Martintown where the living is cheaper. And have them bring their kids and put them in the school. Well, that's, that's not a bad idea. But how would we lure someone from San Francisco here? What have we got? Doesn't matter what we got. They live in the fog all the time anyway. Now, seriously, what attractions does Free Martin Town have? Well, we got two hardware stores. That's what we got. Most towns don't have one anymore. Or in the city, you got to drive miles and miles to get a screw. We've got two hardware stores right on Main Street here. Okay, hardware stores. That's a plus, but what else is a selling point? We got houses. Nice big houses with porches and attics and basements to store your stuff. Yes, nice big houses with nice big basements that flood every year. Hey, we got the sky. A big, clear sky flooded with stars and dark nights where you can see comets and planets and the moon shining down upon you. We tell them folks to get out of the fog and head out here where you can see the whole universe unfold before your very eyes. All right, then. Come on out to Free Martintown and put your kids in our school where the corn is tall and the horizon is long. And that's the call-in catastrophe show for today. KLUU Radio, get a clue. Amish neighbors live without TV, radio, internet, computers, and yet they know everything there is to know about their worlds. 
and their worlds revolve around nature. They have no college classes, they have no field guides, but they know the heavens above us. They know the constellations. They've figured them out by themselves. They know the planets. And then when they come down to Earth, they know the songs of every bird. They know the names of every weed, of every wildflower. And they know how to pick those weeds and turn them into beauty in one way or another and medicine. And they know how to heal themselves. And so today's reading from Plain Interest will explore some of those healing qualities that they've found here on Earth that radiate up into the heavens. It's time to read Plain Interest, the Amish newspaper. We're reading the latest edition. And one column in Plain Interest is called Emergency, Please Help. And on one page it says Emergency, Please Help, Answers. Now if you flip the page, they have Emergency, Please Help questions, but they are not the questions to these answers on the preceding page. You have to go back to the preceding issue to get the questions. So. I love just reading the answers, not knowing what the questions were, but you can kind of figure it out. And here's an answer. Cooling off meat properly when canning helps to keep it from spoiling. For chicken or any fowl, clean them thoroughly, changing cold water. Keep them in fresh, clean water overnight in a cool, not freezer area. The following day is when you want to cook and can your meat. Always use clean, new lids when canning meat. I sincerely hope you'll be able to save the next meat from spoiling. We pressure can our meat at 10 pounds pressure for 90 minutes. That's long, but the directions are thus. So we do that. All right, thank you for that answer. Anytime I wanna know how to can my meat, I will look at that answer. And then if you go on to page seven, you get the questions, not again, not questions that we have the answers to this week but we will have the answers next month we'll keep you updated okay so there's question does anyone have or know of old quartet songs books for sale some of the songs i remember are the old old story going home oh my happy childhood and others i don't remember the title of the songbook Question, how do you loosen an agitator in a Maytag wash machine that is stuck? That I've always wondered. I can't take mine out and it really needs to be cleaned out underneath. All right, and finally, I would like advice on how to get my sense of smell back again after recovering from COVID-19. I had in May, 2020. It is October now, thank you. So, speaking of looking for remedies, there's a wonderful article in this issue about the Balm of Gilead poplar tree uh, by Richard Fahey. And the Balm of Gilead was a rare perfume that was mentioned in the King James 
Bible, and it's named for the Gilead region. And it's, but it's become known as a universal cure. And I think that's what we need for that last question. The verse of the Bible, of course, is there is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. The balm of Gilead poplar tree is once considered, well, it is now considered just a trash tree. It grows in the, it grows in the northern climates. And this author, because we're home all the time, and home long enough to look at things that we used to think were trash. And now, as the saying goes, we know our treasure. And here, Fahey talks about the fragrance that comes from the tree and how he's always valued that. And that you can't buy these in a nursery. You can't get them in a catalog. So you have to just get a shoot from a neighbor or someone. He said there was just a wonderful, sweet aroma to it. And then uh, the bit medicinal uses of it. And chemists found that it had the same compound as aspirin. And so it was there to relieve pain. And then people discovered how to take the buds and steam them and make them into an ointment. And it was better than all the menthol preparations anyone could make. And it relieved headaches and fevers and sore throats. And then it's just fast growing and long lived, very hardy, but you have to be in the nor northern climates. And that's the balm of Gilead. And if you want to order one, you got to order the special interest and see where to send away for it. And here we have the tune for you, the balm of Gilead. We had musical help from Annie Chapman Brewer in Iowa City, Iowa, from Too Many String Band in Grinnell, Iowa, and from our musical hero, Marco Cacho. And that's it today, folks, for this episode from Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land. We've been recording from our studios in sunny downtown Free Martintown, and we've had technical and musical assistance today from Marco Caccio. 
We've had support from the Werner Ellathorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation, and we would welcome your support. Clicking that red button on our website, agarts.org, like us on Facebook at AgArts, and follow us on Instagram at AgArtsUSA.